Welcome to another episode of Civic Cipher. I'm your host, Ramses Ja. And I go by the name Q Ward. Yes, indeed. Um, another great show for you lined up. Uh, a lot of interesting things to talk about, um, things that I think are really important, especially this week. So uh, be sure to stay tuned. We are going to talk about something that's been in the news, uh, certainly a lot this past week, the exchanges between two of our elected representatives, Ilhan Omar and Lauren Boebert, um, and what that might mean to our Muslim American brothers and sisters. Uh, and we're going to try to peel back a couple of layers there and really see what, we, what we're dealing with and just kind of where that comes from and what to do with it. Um, again, this show exists to hopefully create more informed allies, better allies across the board. Uh, and that includes all minorities, including li- religious minorities and subject uh, marginalized people. Uh, so we definitely want to talk about that. Also, we're going to talk about Kyle Rittenhouse a bit more. I'm not trying to make a star out of this guy, but there were some things that happened in our conversation about his trial last week that, you know, we, we, we need to go back and, and address. We you know came across some comments online, some folks that had taken issues with some of the things that we said. And uh, I feel like it's appropriate for us to take a moment and address some of those things. Not something I'm going to I want to do every week, not something that Q wants to do, to do every week, but this week we decided it might be worth um, checking it out just because of the implications of that trial. And of course, lots of other things to stick around for as well. Um, but like we always do at this time, I think we should talk about some ebony excellence. And so without further ado, I want to talk about Rihanna and Barbados. So you've heard about Rihanna, right, Q? Yes, sir, I have. And shouts to the Bayesian people for real. Yeah, yeah, yes, indeed. So um, for those that don't know, um, you know, Barbados has been under the rule of the queen for just under 400 years. And um, with the queen's blessing, you know, Prince Charles was there at, the, at their first uh at the swearing in of uh, Barbados's first um, president, who was a woman, by the way, um, they've decided to become a republic. And, you know, there's a lot of brown skinned people on that island. Obviously, the legacy of slavery. Uh, really, I think their history is has a lot to do with sugar and slavery. Um, but uh, to have their first president, you know, take office um, was just an awesome thing to see. Um, that they're moving in a direction that they feel is right for their people. And of course, we commend that. And in Rihanna's case, specifically her being from Barbados, um, she was honored uh, during the presidential inauguration um, as uh, she once was the ambassador uh, or like a cultural ambassador. But now she is known as... A national hero. That was it. I was looking for that. Sorry. So with her being a national hero of Barbados and of course Barbados stepping out underneath the monarch from underneath the monarchy and kind of uh, writing their own story moving forward. That's something that we like to see. And of course, we celebrate ebony excellence in all its many forms. And I do believe that that 
does count. So shout out to Rihanna, shout out to Barbados, onward and upward. We love to see it keep going. Um, and of course, on to more interesting. Interesting is the word I'm going to use. Um, not to say that, you know, the stuff in Barbados was not interesting, but, you know, uh, we really have to peel back a couple of layers with this Ilhan Omar and Lauren Boebert back and forth. Now, Q, um, I remember we had a conversation long before Civic Cipher, right? You and I were having a conversation about Donald Trump and what his election meant for people that really didn't look like him, you know? Um, you know, at that time and, and still, white folks are still the majority in this country. They make up more than 50%, the majority. That will not be true according to projections for much longer, but um, certainly in 2016 when he took office, that was true. And his, the rhetoric and the things that he said, um, I remember you telling me that you felt like it's emboldening a type of behavior, a type of person even, that now feels like they can say things unchallenged and unchecked and do things that are unchallenged and unchecked that will cause us all as a country um, and culturally to regress. Do you remember having that conversation with me? I absolutely do. Um, one, because we had that conversation multiple times. Yeah, that's true. Two, because something happens, feels like daily now that reminds us of the effects that his candidacy and presidency had and is still having on the country. Um, and, you know, we, we, we were talking about the, the study and the numbers that show that at some point in the near future, uh, that white people will not be the majority um, but singularly, they'll, they'll still be the largest group in this country. Sure. Yeah. Um, and to have, it's, it's, it's startling how many people, you know, by the tens of millions, not just voted for, but support and think in line with our former president. It's a... Uh, it's disheartening. It's in, it's it's discouraging. It's sad. Um, and in some people's mind, there are those of us in this country that must be beneath them in stature, in prosperity, um, status. Yeah, it's yeah. Of course, I remember that conversation because I'm reminded of it constantly. Well, if, for those listening, um, you know, we, we break the show up into two parts. It's a recent thing that we've been doing, but I really hope that you'll listen to both parts of today's show because, you know, to your point, Q, there's a lot of things that we need to discuss um, as far as how these changes in the, the population and, and the cultural landscape of the United States of America, how those changes are affecting our, specifically our Caucasian brothers, 
but you know, to a larger degree, our Caucasian brothers and sisters. Um, and we need to be mindful of those changes in, in my belief. And we need to account for the fact that change isn't easy and we have to find a way um, through that middle ground. But the reason that um, I bring up those conversations that you and I had, you, was because you were right. You were absolutely right. He absolutely did create a more emboldened type of rhetoric um, against people who are not straight, Christian, white, oftentimes men um, in healthy bodies or, you know, whatever their idea of healthy would be. And I think today's example really reflects that. So for those that don't know, Lauren Boebert is a Republican, an elected official. She is a, a congresswoman. And she is very closely um, associated with Donald Trump, his ideas, his, you know, the way he speaks, you know, all these sorts of things. She's very, very, um, just a very, uh, it's, it's strange because when you look at her, you think, you know, it's a normal person. But when she gets to talking, you know, she's got just enough of that there's like a thin veneer of intellectualism that, that covers up this, what, what I, we um, believe to be ignorance, but there's a base of people. They, they elected her. In fact, there's a base of people that that absolutely works for. She says things that that base needs to be true in order for their reality to exist continue to exist in some way at least in their minds so this elected official lauren bobert um is one part of the story and for those that don't know there's another elected official her name is ilhan omar now ilhan omar is another congresswoman and she is a muslim woman and she wears a uh, I, I forget the name of it. What is it called? Burka is the full body um, deal. What's the what's the thing that it's just kind of on her head? It's like a religious man. I these are n names that I use all the time, and then mics get going, and I forget simplest things. Well, um, it's sort it's sort of a headdress sort of a thing that uh, Muslim women are known to wear. And it's, uh, she wears it outside of her house. It keeps her hair covered. This is something that has been practiced in uh, Muslim cultures and in the Muslim faith for a very long time. And, uh, you know, if a woman's outside of her home, that's how she is presented to the public. Well, uh, it also serves as a way of identifying a non-Christian woman. Either we're talking. They called it hijab. Hijab, hijab, exactly. That was it. Jeez, how did I forget that one? <laughs> but um, and I remember burqa of all things because that would be the one I should forget. But yeah, hijab. So um, she wears her hijab, 
um, outside of her house. And, you know, hijabs are mostly associated with uh, Muslim people, but there are other folks who wear headdresses around the world, um, not the least of which is um, Sikh people. I think it's S-I-H-K is how you spell the name of the religion or the faith there. Um, and then, of course, there are Catholic women who wear the full uh, habit with the, um, I forget what their head, headdress thing is called too, but, you know, those folks are never in the conversations here, you know. Um, but in any event, uh, Ilhan Omar wears her hijab everywhere when she's outside of her house, including when she is on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. So one day, um, recently, Lauren Boebert enters into an elevator with Ilhan Omar. And uh, she was happy, she made some comments about this in, I believe she was in Staten Island, you know, doing a speech for someone who was trying to be elected as the mayor or some other representative in Staten Island. Um, and uh, Lauren Boebert tells this story. Yeah, I, I got in the elevator um, with, and she used the term jihad squad, right? <laughs> Which on its face is extremely insulting. Um, for those that don't know, jihad is um, the name of like a holy war, but it, the term in the United States has been more closely associated with like suicide bombers, right? Because a lot of people in this country haven't done any sort of research on the Muslim faith, the Muslim religion, or any religion for that matter, even Christianity, because <laughs> a lot of Christians really don't know the Bible. Otherwise, they would actually behave like Christians. And that's facts. Um, and that's not something I want anybody to challenge because I grew up literally in the church and my father and his father were both ministers. That book, the Bible, is one that I do know. Q can say the same thing, right, Q? Amen. <laughs> Let the church say amen. And so, um, so when she made this joke about the, um, here we go, here comes the jihad squad. Actually, you know what? I want to read, um, uh, what this says. So, um, here we go. Okay. One of my staffers on his first day with me, I got into an elevator in the Capitol and in that elevator, we were joined by Ilhan Omar. Bobert told the crowd in September, it was just us three in there. And I looked over and said, well, looky here, it's the Jihad squad. She doesn't have a backpack and she wasn't dropping it and running. So we're good. Bobert through laughter and applause from the crowd, which briefly makes her remarks somewhat inaudible. That's a direct quote from this woman, Lauren Bobert. So um, we know that to be extremely anti-Muslim. Um, we know that to be extremely offensive, not just to Muslim people, but anybody who believes in the principles that this nation was founded upon. You know, people love to play up, you know, freedom of speech and freedom of the press and the Second Amendment, you know, or the right to bear arms. But a lot of folks, when it comes to this and it's inconvenient for them, love to gloss over freedom of religion. You know, that, that they, the, the founding fathers wrote that into the Constitution. 
so that this would not become what the founding fathers were leaving, you know, in England across the Atlantic Ocean, right? They made sure that the re religious wasn't, religion wasn't going to take over. If that were the case, then we'd all be governed by Ku Klux Klan members. You know, religion has always been twisted and purported to serve economic interest and to serve the interest of powerful men. Um, yeah, they meant freedom for them to worship and pray the way they wanted to. It was not inclusive of everybody. Remember, this was the 1800s. But the, the late 1700s. That, but the fact that they wrote it into the Constitution means that today, those folks who are super patriotic have to acknowledge that regardless of what their intention was, it's written down that, you know, we have freedom of religion, right? And so for this congresswoman to ridicule a woman um, who is a known Muslim woman, to refer to her as the jihad squad and insinuate that because she doesn't have a backpack on, that she was safe from the suicide bombing attack um, that she would have to be concerned about if she had a backpack on, um, just shows how divorced uh, this type of patriotism you know, I want to call it Trumpism because remember, this is one of Trump's like underlings, one of the representatives that sings his praises. Um, it shows just how this form of patriotism works to serve patriots that look a certain way. If you were purely patriotic, and disagree with me if I'm wrong, but if you were if you were really patriotic, walking into an elevator and seeing someone who is an obvious Muslim woman based on how she's dressed, right? Um, that's an opportunity for you to celebrate America. We do have freedom of religion here, and this woman in front of me is practicing it. I, I love to see it in America. That's what this country stands for. Boom, that's a patriot. But no, this woman. <laughs> draws the line right there. And then subsequently, because, you know, obviously as an elected official, you can't say that without any repercussions because, you know, this is the United States of America and those rules are written into our constitution um, that we do have freedom of religion. And so um, these two women got on a phone with each other and uh, Ms or Mrs., I'm not sure either of these folks are married, but Lauren Bobert, Bobert uh, refused to apologize to, uh, in a public manner. She wanted to apologize one-on-one -on -one with Ilhan Omar, but Omar asked her to apologize publicly because she had offended not just her, but Muslim people in general. That's a very, very offensive and harmful thing and a dangerous thing to say because it stirs up that anti-Muslim, you know, sentiment. That, and she did that very publicly. Yeah, yeah. Now, to be fair, she did issue a, like a, a limp-wristed apology on Twitter. But if Ilhan Omar is like, yo, if you can call me and say these words out loud, then keep that energy and, and do it publicly. And Lauren Boebert said, no, you apologize because you support terroristic um, policies and you are anti-American and this, that, and the third. Now, I'm not, those aren't exact quotes. So please don't hold me to that. But this was the tone 
of the conversation. Um, I saw a little bit of Bobert's response and she owned it. She was like, hey, man, if she she doesn't support our police. She's a, you know, this is this is the true terrorist. Right. Talking about Ilhan Omar. And um, it's really hard to back this lady, this Bobert lady at that point, because even there's a newspaper in Colorado. I read the article. They issued a public apology on behalf of Lauren Bobert because they're like, listen. We know she's from Colorado. And we've actually defended her in the past because we know she's not college educated. We know she's not this, that, and the third, but she was elected for better or worse. And she does represent the viewpoint of some people in this country. But we draw the line right here. And we now need to condemn her. And since she won't apologize, we'll issue the apology for her. You know what I mean? She still has to come to the table, but we need to let our Muslim American brothers and sisters and Representative Omar know that that is not who the people of Colorado are. That's not who we are as a country and that this woman is wrong. So that goes to show you um, that this paper, this newspaper that supported this woman is like, yo, we draw the line right there. Um, but another thing that I wanted to talk about is, you know, we on this show talk about a lot of issues that are black and white, black folks and white folks. And of course, we share this space in solidarity with all marginalized peoples and all peoples who have something to say. You know, we re recognize that we are all here together and we all got to get there together. Right. Um, but I'll say it as many times as it needs to be said. This is a decidedly black space. Right. And in this moment, this conversation is not necessarily a black conversation. This is a conversation on behalf of my Muslim American brothers and sisters. And normally I would have someone come up and hang out with, with us, you know, Q and I, and we'd all have a conversation about what this means and, you know, what the Muslim American community is up against. But, you know, I've done a lot of sharing. Uh, you know, first, I didn't really have enough time to put that together and I felt it was relevant to talk about it. But also I've done a lot of sharing with my Muslim American with my Muslim brothers and sisters, even if they weren't in America, because I've been to countries around the world where they were Muslim majority in the populations. And I've heard the prayers and, you know, I've worshiped with these folks and celebrated and cried with these people as well. You know, and the attacks in um, New Zealand was a day I cried because I recognized the hurt that my Muslim uh, brothers and sisters must have felt on that day. And I want to, I want to share this as well, um, just in case anyone accuses me of, you know, kind of colluding the Muslim faith with like, uh, you know, black people. I do recognize there are some black Muslims in this country, but 20% um, of the Muslims in U.S. are black. That's a very small number because 80% are not black. And then of all black people, 1% um, identify as Muslim in this country. So it means 99% of black people do not identify as Muslim, right? And so in, in sharing this space and in sharing this time to illuminate this story and to condemn uh, the actions of this Lauren Boebert and to support Ilhan Omar and by extension, our, our Muslim brothers and sisters, I felt like this was important, um, necessary and timely. And, you know, having been able to share time and space, a good amount of time and space with my Muslim brothers and sisters, and, and just this deep cultural and religious 
appreciation for what they really stand for. You know, something that I know is a lot of people, when you hear Muslim folks, you think like jihad, you think that's sort of like holy wars and that sort of thing and suicide bombers. And the truth is that's like thinking of Christianity and envisioning the Ku Klux Klan, you know, the Taliban and those people, that's this very small radical faction with a perverted idea of what Islam is. Islam is beautiful. It is, it is peaceful. You know, Christianity in theory is the same way. So it's like equating Christianity to what the Ku Klux Klan believes in, you know, and this is coming from a person that's been there on the ground with these people and embraced them and hugged them. And they've welcomed me as a brother. And, you know, I, I, I'm not the same religion, but I, I love and I respect and I appreciate it. And it wouldn't surprise me at all if I got to the end of my life and found out that, oh, God's name is Allah. How about that? Stick around your radios. We're coming back with more Civic Cypher right after this.